All right, in this session, we come to the final section of the book of Romans. And, and so these last four chapters, Romans 12 through 14, all really revolve around primarily the theme of living together as the people of God. And there are essentially three main chunks to this section. The first is chapters 12 and 13, which really are just like foundational matters for living as the people of God, living together, living in this world as the people of God. So 12 and 13, foundational matters for living as the people of God. 14.1 through 15.13 deal with the specific issue of living together in spite of differing opinions about food and days. And so that's where we get the stronger brother, weaker brother, and all of that. It's that specific issue of living together in spite of differing opinions about food and days. And then the last section, 15.14 uh, through the end of the book, is really just final matters that per largely pertain to a greetings to the churches and things Paul wants to say as he prepares really the groundwork for his hoping to come and visit them very shortly. And so these four chapters really are what could be called applied theology. It's theology that's grounded in everything he said before in the large argumentation and exposition of God's righteousness in chapters 1 through 11, and hence chapter 12 begins with, therefore, therefore, it's grounded in what is preceded. And it's not a random assortment of just general ethical commands just kind of, you know, spit out there randomly. It has a, actually quite a bit of explanation in it. Now, oftentimes it's, um, a command, an instruction, do this, and then a for, for here's the reason, here's the rationale behind it. And there's an awful lot of that in this section. And so it's not a random assortment of general ethical commands. It has a lot of explanation indicating that Paul is, in a lot of ways, still arguing his case. And the case he's arguing is God has made you one people in the Messiah, so now let's live like it. And that's really the whole point of these four chapters. So let's dive in and take a look at some of the details. The first two verses of chapter 12 really serve as like a heading to this whole section. They're sort of like the big theme or the header uh, that call us to live a certain way. And then some of the details of how we live like that are going to be unfolded in the paragraphs and chapters that follow. And there's a good chance that these two verses are very familiar to you. They're two of the more familiar verses out of the book of Romans. They read like this. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Some of the details out of that, notice that this is grounded in the mercies of God. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God. That is the, the, the basis, the ground for this appeal. And if you recall, Romans 11 ended by emphasizing God's mercy. It's all about his mercy. Obviously, chapters 1 through 8, uh, chapter 8 ends with nothing can separate us from the love of God. Chapter 3, the grace of God. So chapters 1 through 11 has been all about the love, grace, and mercy of God. And so chapter 12 picks up with this applied theology section saying, and because of God's mercy, because of his grace, because of his great love for us, 
do this, live this way. And so this appeal is rooted in and grounded in the very mercies of God. Also here in verse 1, Paul uses sacrificial imagery, temple imagery, if you will, and, and yet says, there's a new kind of worship now that Messiah has come. No longer is it focused on the temple in Jerusalem and animal sacrifices there. Now it's focused on human beings presenting themselves, body and all, to God for his service. This isn't anything unique to Paul. In fact, Jesus himself in John chapter 4 said that there's a day coming when people are going to worship no longer in Jerusalem, nor there on Mount Gerizim. They're going to worship God in spirit and in truth. And Paul, picking up that same theme here in Romans 12, says, now that Messiah has come and the Spirit's been poured out, worship has changed. And so here in verse 1, he says, Present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And so the basic appeal here is to present our bodies in our concrete living, right? Present your bodies. And this recalls the language of Romans 6, 12 and 13. What we do with our bodies reflects who God has made us in Christ, or the language of Romans 8, 12, that if by the Spirit you're putting to death the sinful deeds of the body, right? So the use of the body here reminds us that the only way we can present ourselves to God is through concrete bodily activity. And so we present our bodies to God as a living and holy sacrifice. Notice that, that this sacrifice, this presenting of our bodies is described as a living sacrifice instead of a dead animal being offered on an altar were a living sacrifice. It's holy, which means it's set apart for God. It's consecrated and pure, dedicated for his purposes. And then the sacrifice is also described here in verse 1 as acceptable, acceptable to God, which I just don't think is the best translation. The word for acceptable uh, literally is well-pleasing to God. And so our sacrifice, our offering of our body to God is pleasing to God. It brings him pleasure. In fact, this is something Paul repeats multiple times in his letters, that uh, those of us who are in Christ, justified, full of the Spirit, that we, by the way we carry out our lives, we routinely and regularly please God. We bring God pleasure and delight. Oh, that is so important for us because that that feels different than just, oh, he accepts it. No, it pleases him. It brings a smile to his face. And so our offering, uh, our bodies as a sacrifice is living, holy, and pleasing to God. And then he says, this is your spiritual service of worship. And again, the word spiritual uh, can be a little bit confusing to us. The Greek word is not the word from which we normally get our word spiritual, right? The word normally translated spiritual in the New Testament is pneumatikos, which is just a really an almost an adjective made out of the word for spirit, pneuma. And that's not the word we have here. We have the word logikos, which is more the idea of sensible or reasonable. It's the word we get our English word logic from. And so that would be a better idea of what he's getting at here. It's the idea of something that's appropriate for thinking persons, rational people. And so to offer our bodies to God is our rational, our reasonable service of worship. And that word worship 
is latria, which is the word regularly used in the Greek version of the Old Testament for the activity of the priest in the tabernacle or the temple. It, it refers to activity done in service to a God. And thus, what he's saying is offering our bodies to God's service is the only appropriate activity for thinking, rational creatures like ourselves. Then he tells us in verse 2 to not be conformed, to be molded after this world. And so as we offer the parts of our body to God, we're not going to be conformed to this world. And literally, this world is this age, which stands in contrast to the age to come, which is already broken into the here and now, right? We've talked about that multiple times, this idea of the overlap. You have the present evil age, the current age, and you have the age to come, the age of heaven that is broken into the here and now through Messiah and the Spirit. And so don't be conformed to this present age, this current way of doing life. Instead, he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so the way we are to resist being conformed and the way we are to be transformed is by the renewing of our mind, which recalls the language of 8, 5, and 6 about the mind set on the flesh and the mind set on the spirit, that the it reminds us that the mind is central to Christian transformation. And the reason for that is because the mind has been darkened by sin. And so as we come into Christ, if we're going to learn to live Christ's ways, there's going to be a learning component to that. We have to have our mind renewed. We have to begin to see the world differently, and we have to have different values in our mind. And you see this, again, all throughout Paul's writings about the importance of the mind. And so be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that, he says, you can prove what the will of God is. And that word prove is from dokimazo in Greek, which means to test and approve. The idea here is that as the mind is renewed, we can see more and more clearly what God's way is. The lights for us come on, and we can see the things that are good and pleasing and perfect to God. And the reason that's important is because for so many situations in life, there's not a specific biblical command or rule to tell us exactly what to do. So we need to have a renewed mind that begins to see more clearly what God would want in a specific situation. And as our mind is renewed, that's what we gain. And so the initial appeal, which serves as the header for these four chapters, is to Offer your bodies to God for his service and have your mind renewed so that we can actually live God's ways. Now, what's the first thing that comes to mind when you hear that? Usually we think of our own personal piety, things like prayer, worship, quit the really bad sins, all of which are important and certainly all of which are part of it. It's just not what Paul goes to first here in Romans, and so often that's the case. Paul goes a different direction than what we oftentimes expect. And so here, the first place he goes is to interpersonal relationships among Christians, to how we think of ourselves in relationships to our fellow Christians, to how we live together in the community of faith. That's the place that Paul goes first. And really for Jesus, for Paul, and for the whole New Testament, the litmus test of our faith is our interactions with each other, our community life as Christians. In other words, your faith and my faith has not made much of a difference until it's changed the way we relate to other people. And so in verses 3 through 21, Paul really calls us 
to put our faith into practice in this way, in how we interact with each other in the body of Christ, how we interact with difficult people, presumably outside the body of Christ, that our faith, this being a living sacrifice, is going to show up primarily in our interpersonal relationships. And it'll be to that that we turn in our next session. Hey, it's John. One of the things that excites me about the listeners' commentary is the possibility of helping people grow in their understanding of Jesus and the Bible through this digital means. People all over the world, in fact, I've got a connection with, for example, 30 churches in the Philippines, rural churches where the pastors don't have a whole lot of biblical education. And for them to have this resource in their hands so that they can grow in their understanding and then preach that to their congregation, what a blessing. And this is made possible by the generosity of our faithful supporters. So thanks to each and every one of you who support. And if you want to join the project and support that way, you can do so at the listenariescommentary.com. Thanks a ton. God bless.